The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. All right. I am excited about today's topic. Anybody enjoying the stewardship series we've been doing? I know I, know I have, and... Uh, and I'm really, really excited to, to wrap up this, this last week um, with us together today. Um, you know, I, I really want to, I really want, I've got a lot of scripture. I got a lot of notes today. And so today, I'm going to be a little less free than I normally am, a little more tied to my notes, because I want to make sure we, we get through everything that, that God's put on my heart. Um, but hey, before we do that, can we just pray? Father, we thank you for your your word to us, for the principles in scripture. We thank you that you are a God who, uh, God, you just, you're always taking care of us. You're trustworthy, you're faithful. We thank you for your word to guide us and lead us and direct us in all things. So we ask that you do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so we're gonna continue in our study, uh, the study of stewardship, giving to God what's already his kind of an interesting concept here, but, but here's, here's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Here's, here's, here's the, I guess, not the nuts and bolts, really the, the basics of it is this, right? This is what we've been exploring for the last few weeks, just kind of get us all caught up, right? Stewardship is all about this realization that we own nothing. We were born with nothing. We'll take nothing with us when we die, right? What matters most is, and what God's really concerned about is what what we do with the resources that have been entrusted to us like right here and now right? This is what stewardship is about. The last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple of passages of scripture. Hey, if, you got, if you're taking notes today, let me encourage you, write down some references. We've got a lot of scripture for you to go back and, and look through. But, uh, you know, we, we see Matthew chapter 25. There's this, this parable of the talents. Talents is, is a, a, a form of money, right? And Luke chapter 19, we've got the parable of of the meanest, again, another form of money. And, and it's talking about essentially this, right? That there's this king or this master, this one in charge, that he's entrusted each of his servants with a certain amount of money, and then he leaves. And the whole point is when he comes back, when the king comes back, he's going to want to know how he used his resources for his purposes, right? That's the point. There's a lot of parallel there, isn't there? When he comes back, when we see him face to face, he's going to want to know how he used his resources that are currently in our care, his resources for his purposes. So stewardship is all about this. It's all about, and not all about, but one of the ways that we look at stewardship is through time, talent, and treasure. That's not exhaustive. That's not everything. We could go into a lot of other aspects, but it really captures a lot of what we possess, right? A lot of the things that God has entrusted us to manage. Um, so this week, I'll get back now that we're all caught up. This week, we get the privilege of talking about that third one, treasure, because everyone loves to talk about money. Right? Or okay, maybe not. Okay, here's the thing. Some of you might be thinking, some might kind of have this idea. Like, why would we talk about money in church? Right? Like, what does my money have anything to do with my faith? Doesn't doesn't Jesus and the New Testament, doesn't teach that it's all, all, like, all about the heart? It does. But then this like Jesus guy, he said this. <laughs> he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
He understood something. Jesus understood that there is a connection between the things that we value and our heart. And so he actually spoke quite a bit about money. He used money in a lot of his parables to tell his stories because he knew our connection to it. He knew its draw on us. Now, I gotta be honest, okay? Honesty time. There was one time in my, in my pastoral career, if you will, while I was younger, uh, I, you know, I, I, I was a little insecure about the topic, about preaching about the topic. I wasn't super insecure about the topic. I, I knew what I believed, but I was a little bit insecure about, about speaking on it. And here's why. Here's why. Because on one hand, I was very, very convinced that the Bible has a lot to say about our finances. And let's just be honest. It's something that we think about, like most of us think about a lot. When was the last time you went an entire week and never thought about your money or a day? or an hour, right? Like it, it, it comes up a lot. And, and you look at the world and you look at society, like our finances and, and issues with it is, is a common contributing factor to divorce. It's a common and contributing factor to depression. It, 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 it's, it's like, it affects us big time. So on one hand, like why in the world wouldn't we talk about what does the Bible have to say about it, right? Like it's pretty practical. Like let's, let's dive in. But then, but then there's this other side, right? There's, there's this other side that, that I was keenly aware of the sensitivity of the topic, particularly in church, right? Like I'm very aware of the big name preachers caught embezzling money and the headlines that that makes. Like I'm very aware of just this broad general stigma. Like the church is always asking for money. Like this is your first time you've ever like been to Crossroads and you're sitting here going like, I knew it. They, all they want is my money. Like just, just bear with me for just a minute. Okay. Or even some of us, it's just our own personal bad experience. Some of us just have bad experience in this just personally. Right. And, and, and so but here's the, the thing is that over time, my mentality, my, my mindset has changed a little bit because the reality is like, if there's so much sensitivity about money, then shouldn't this be even more of a reason that we need to learn how to think biblically on this topic, right? Let's not shy away from it. Like let's, like we want to know truth. That's why we're gathered together as, as followers of Jesus. So like, so my goal today is that like, we'd be able to like dive into some truth. Like I, I my hope for you is that even if you study this a lot, that there'd be something that you're like, huh, I hadn't ever actually seen that before or, or a new perspective on this topic. Um, here's the deal. We, we obviously know that the kingdom of God is about so much more than money, right? Right, obviously. It's not just like, hey, let's, I signed up to be a Christian so I could see how rich I could get, right? Very few of us signed up for that, right? However, to think that we should or even can keep our finances separate from our, our spiritual lives is, is kind of silly, Right? In fact, Jesus would beg to differ, the treasure and the heart thing, right? So here's what we do. Now, how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you have at some point in time heard somebody teach or somebody like expound on Matthew 25 or Luke 19, the parable of the talents, the parable of the meanest? You, parable of the talents is a little more. How, how many of you have, have heard that taught on at some, like a bunch of us have, right? A bunch of that. And here's what typically happens, Right? Here's what typically happens. We, we read this in the parable of the talents or whatever, and we're like, hey, we're quick to say, no, it's not just about money. It's not just about money. It's about, all, it's about other things, like the gifts that God has given you. And it's about all these other things. But then, this is kind of ironic, right? It's, a, it's two parables saying the same thing, both about money. And we're like, ah, it's about all these things. But then we're afraid to actually apply it to the very thing that Jesus used to tell the parable. Like, doesn't that seem odd? Then, all right, we're afraid to actually say, oh, this applies to my finances too. 
So we're going to talk about being good stewards of the money and the finances, the resources, the wealth, however you want to look at that, that God has entrusted to us. All right? So if you've heard, and I'm, I'm sure if you've been in church for a long, you've probably heard this too. You hear somebody talk about stewardship, there's three kind of basic things. You got your tithing, which is the 10%, you give him 10%. There's the, the giving, which is really what happens on top of the 10%. It's, it's again, if you're going to get technical right here, 10% tithes to the church, then anything you give, your, your generous gifts, those are on top of that. And then stewardship is oftentimes the word used to describe what you do with the rest, right? Savings and budgeting and investing and retirement, all that kind of stuff, okay? My, originally, when I, I knew that this topic was going to be on, uh, like on the agenda, I was going to do a nice three-point message about those three things. But I, I, the more I got into it, the more I realized, like, I just want to focus on the one area that I feel like most people have the most questions on. Can, is that fair? I want to talk about tithing. Nobody is like, very, very few people are applauding that. Like, that's, it's, uh, right? Because we have a lot, except my wife, except, um, we have a lot of, like, here's the deal. We have a lot of questions. So I just want to kind of like go through this step by step, okay, um, and answer four questions, okay? I'm trying not to, I'll just, I'll just say, it, say it. it is what it is. Four questions. What is a tithe? Where does the concept come from? Do Christians still have to tithe today? And if not, why would someone tithe? Okay? Seem like four fair questions. Um, here's the deal. I'm trying to be really upfront on this topic because I know it is a little bit sensitive to some, okay? My goal is not coercion. It's not biblical manipulation in order for you to be able to see my viewpoint. Here's my goal. My goal today is that each and every one of us might have a little bit greater of biblical understanding so that we each can make an informed decision on the topic. Does that seem fair? Okay, that's my goal. Now, so that you're not going to be sitting here the whole time going like, where is he going to land on this thing? I'm just going to start with a conclusion. You guys want to know where I'm going to land? Okay. What is a tithe? It's 10%. It's by definition 10%. If you're like, oh, I, I tithe 5%. Like, I don't, it's not, I, it's not like attacking a root. Like, you don't. Like, that's like, tithe means 10%. So like, anyway, that is what it is. Tithe is 10%. Where does the concept come from? It comes from the Old Testament law. Do Christians still have to do it today? Okay, before any of the elders or um, treasurer worry about this, I'm just gonna, as I understand from scripture, do Christians still have to do it today? No, they do not. If not, why should someone tithe? And then that's what I wanna explore. Because here's where I'm going. I believe that you do not have to tithe, right? If you were to put a, clickbait title on this message for uh, YouTube later, it might be like, you don't have to tithe. But I'm going to make the argument that it's probably the best practice for you. And so I want to explain why. I can't make the argument, the Bible says you have to. Some try, some do, some can make the argument. I'm going to come at it slightly different. I'm going to say, you don't have to tithe. But I think it's a great idea. So you guys ready to look at scripture and kind of explore this from that perspective? Okay, so let's answer those four questions. What is a tithe? So we already said that. It's really a short answer. A tithe literally means a tenth. So the practice of tithing, um, when, when you hear that in the church or whatever, if you're kind of new to this, the practice of tithing is giving one-tenth of everything you make to your local place of worship. 
Now, there might be some groups or denominations or whatever that might have like, oh, the ministers or the pastors, they tithe like to their uh, spiritual uh, leadership, their community, but, and we'll get into why that's a thing in, in a minute, but for the most part, 99% of people, like that would be your local church. The, the basic idea is that you have 10% of everything you make um, to the spiritual community or the spiritual authority in your life. So that's, that's what a tithe is from the traditional perspective. Uh, number two, where does the concept come from? Now here's where we're going we're to linger a little bit because I want to really explain uh, some where this comes from from the Old Testament. Okay, So let me give you just a couple of little reminders. Say it one more time. Do you have to tithe? No, you don't have to. Do I recommend it? Yes, I do. Um, as we look at some of these Old Testament uh, scriptures, I'm going to point out some details that seem insightful for those of you. So maybe you're sitting here today and going like, I don't tithe, but I'm interested in it. I, I kind of want to, I, I want to hear, I want to hear what's going on. Or maybe you currently tithe. Um, I would encourage you, listen, may, maybe there's some aspects of it that you could like maybe view differently or, or look at it from a new perspective. So for those of you who are wanting to grow or learn or, 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 or explore more on this, even as we look at the Old Testament, we've got to remember, we're not under the Old Testament law, right? We're not under the Old Testament law, so it's not rigid. It's not like do this or else you're not saved. Um, but at the same time, I do believe it's a good practice, and so there's some things that we can learn about the way they did it then that I believe help us understand it and uh, implement it into our lives today. Make sense? Okay, we're not under the law, right? There's a lot of grace here. Um, because here, here's my thought, here's my goal, is that by getting a better understanding of tithing in its original context, right? This is law for the Jewish people in Israel. By understanding the biblical context, it will help us decide how and if we should apply it to our lives today. All right, so here's the very first time the word tithe shows up in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 27. The text should be on the screen here behind me. Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 34. I got through 33 up here. Let me read it to you. It says, a tithe of everything from the land. Again, remember, the tithe means tenth, so it's, it's implicit in there. A tithe, one-tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitutions. And then verse 34 says, these are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. So basically what happened, you guys remember the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. Ten plagues happened, crossing of the Red Sea. Now Moses is leading the people of Israel. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. At the front end of that, God gives Moses the law for the people of Israel. In this law, part of it was this, that here's how this is going to work, a tithe. And this is something interesting that he says. He says, it, is, it belongs to the Lord. That's an interesting thing. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's his. He says, it's holy to the Lord, both the crops and the livestock. Now, listen, you got to remember, these are people that used to be slaves. They, they left, and now they're out in the wilderness. This was an agricultural um, society. And so their crops and their livestock was their income. That, 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 was, that was what they brought in. And so he says, listen, it's holy. That 10%, like one out of every 10 cows you have, that cow is holy and it, it's mine. And when you go to get all your crops and you go bring them in, 10% of everything you bring in, that's holy. And that belongs to me. And he says, this is going to be for the people of Israel. 
okay? Even here, like we see, we're not under the law anymore. We're not Jewish, most of us. And so this is for the people of Israel. But here's an interesting thing. So what was that tithe used for? Well, we find as we continue to look in the Old Testament that it was used to really provide for the Levites. Um, what is this? Numbers chapter 18, verse 21, then I'll jump to 26. says this, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So here's the deal. Remember Abraham, the father of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson. God changes his name to Israel, and then he has 12 sons. Each one of those sons are a different tribe of Israel. So really, the tribes are just the family line of Abraham. One of those family lines, one of those family descendants were from Levi. They call them Levites. And in the law, God said, I'm going to set this group of people apart, and I want them to be specific, to give their, their, their selves, their lives full-time to serving in the function of facilitating worship at church, okay? At the tabernacle, in the temple. They're gonna give themselves full time. So they need some sustenance. They need provision in order to be able to do that so they don't have to be bivocational, right? And so I want, I want all the Israelites to come and give 10% of everything. And they're gonna, and the Levites are gonna receive it on behalf of God. And then that's gonna be what they live on. So then you're like, oh wait, this whole tithe thing, this was just a pragmatic thing. It was just practical. But then verse 26 says this. It says, where am I? In Numbers 26. Speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe that I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tithe of that tithe as the Lord's offering. In other words, what he's saying is this, like even when you receive that, I still want you to take 10% of that and that's holy to God and that belongs to me. What we see here is this is not just a practical thing, though God's doing a lot of things at one time with this, but rather there was, there was a principle here that he didn't just want the, all the other people of Israel to understand. He, he wanted his his church workers. <laughs> he wanted his priests. He wanted it. There, there, there was something about it. Like, okay, I want you to give a tithe, even a tithe off of the tithe. You know, even we try to implement this at, at Crossroads here. So 10% of everything that we have, we make sure that it goes to something that's not here local. Like right? it's not about us. We give away to foreign missions and local ministries and, and benevolence to bless other people. Like we try to practice this as well. Like hey, a tithe of the tithe. And so this was a, uh, something that God set up early on. Now, Here's another little interesting, if you're like, I, I, I want to grow in this. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, gives us this insight. Where you give your tithe matters, okay? So the tithe says this, but, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling, okay? To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and your special gifts, what you vowed to give in your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. What we see here is like, God was like, okay, there's this tithe and you need to bring it to me. And, uh, but you, it's not like something that you should like designate to just bless all of Israel. Like, that's great. I know there's a lot of people in need, but like, this is a specific thing that is dedicated wholly to the Lord. And I've already pre-designated it. It needs to come here to the place of worship. Uh, something else we learned about this text is that like, it wasn't like all of my giving, is, I'm, I'm lump all my giving into the category of tithe and I'm going to give away 10% and I'm going to divvy it out. No, he said tithe is a part of the gift, but then there's like free will gift and there's like these sacrifices over here and then there's other things right here. This is just one aspect of it. He's like, if you want to give above and beyond, go for it. And in fact, that was a very, very common thing to give above and beyond the tithe, all these different kinds of, of gifts and offerings and, and sacrifices. So... Um, 
But here's, here's, here's something else. So, so this is the pragmatic side of things, okay? This is, I know, I get it. Like for some of you, like, this is boring. Why are we doing this right now? Trust me, hold on. If you're not interested in the tithing part and you've already checked out, trust me, I promise you, it's gonna get broader here at the end. It's gonna be good, but you gotta, you gotta bear with me. You guys with me? All right, all right, we're, with, we're together. All right, here's where, it, here's where it starts to get good. There is a blessing that is tied to this. Okay, again, we're, we're still in the Old Testament, right? We're still, but God, when God told his people to tithe, he's like, I'm gonna bless you like crazy. In fact, um, Solomon, wisest man ever lived, uh, he wrote Proverbs, he says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay, that first fruits, and we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit. First fruits is kind of like, it's similar to the tithe. It's that, that first part of what you bring in. Give it away. And he says, there's going, to be, there's going to be blessing. And there's going to be blessing. Now, remember, Proverbs isn't law. It's a proverb, right? It's principles. Things like train up a child in the way he should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Does that mean your, your kid is going to be perfect if you train them up in the things of God? No, but there's some principles in there. It's got business principles and, and relational principles and financial principles, all these things. Does it mean like one-to-one, if I give an offering, God's going to give me a, an envelope full of cash when I get home? No, that's not, that's not what it means, okay? But it does mean if we establish this thing in our lives, what, what, what Solomon was observing is if you make this a principle of your life, I'm going to tell you what the, what the return on is. It's, it's incredible. God's going to pour out his blessing on you. In fact, he was super serious about this. And he, and he says it another time. There's there a season in Israel's history where they kind of like got away from the law and they got away from the things that, that God had commanded them. And one of the aspects where they had gotten away was in this area of the tithe. And, and, so, and so God told Malachi to speak on his behalf to the people of Israel. And I want you to hear what he says. This is, it's kind of, well, it's pretty serious. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. He goes on to say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. You guys remember when Jesus was tempted those 40 days in his, in, in, while he's fasting, the devil came. One of the ways that Jesus resisted the devil was he quoted scripture and he said, don't put the Lord your God to a test. Like that's not usually how God wants us to operate. And yet it's like he makes one exception here. He's like, I dare you. Test me. You don't think, you don't think I can? You don't think I got you? You don't think I'm serious about this? Test me. And what does he say? Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? And, and I'll be honest, I've, I've hesitated using that text of scripture because I'm like, that sounds coercive. But I'm like, it's the Bible. It can sound like whatever it needs to sound like. Like, this is what God's promise was to the people of Israel. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm serious about this. If you're not doing it, you're robbing me. But if you do it, like, I'm going to pour out the blessing. It's, it's almost like this. Parents, maybe you've, you can experience this, or you've experienced this before. 
let's say you wanted to do something really nice for your kid. You're really nice. You bought, actually, you already bought them that bike that they really wanted. You've got it in the garage, but you want to make sure that you want it like you want to give it because you're gracious, but like you also want it to be like a reward for something, right? And so you're like, man, may, okay, if you can keep your room clean for a month, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I just want to see to keep, uh, there's going to be something good coming. Keep your room f- clean for a month. Three months goes by, the bike's collecting dust, and you're like, okay, let's, how about a week? Can you do it for a week? Can you keep your room? A day. Can you please keep your for an hour, can you just clean it? Will you put your dishes away? If you put your dishes away, I will pour out the blessings, right? Like I've got something for you and I want to give it to you. And this is what I see in Malachi chapter three, is I see a God He's like, you're robbing me. And he's not angry, but rather he's like, when you withhold this, you are robbing me. And I don't want you to, because I've got, like, I got a storehouse of stuff and I'm just going to like, it's all yours. But just like, you just, just do the, just take your dishes to the, like, I just, I just, just, just test me. Just test me. I promise you it's going to be good. It's strong language. I think what we see in this, and again, this is Old Testament law. This is Old Covenant law. We're not bound by this. It's strong language. But what it does is it shows God's heart for his people. We serve a God who longs to pour out his blessings on us. We also serve a God that says like, I know how to do things better than you. Trust me. Okay, quick review. Tithing is a part of the Old, Old Testament law for the people of Israel. Tithe is 10% of all of their earnings. That tithe, that 10%, is holy and it belongs to God. It should be given to the designated place of worship by the Levites, as prescribed by God. Withholding it, we learned, is robbing God. Giving it positions us, or positions them, to receive from God. Okay, So now let's get into the practical side of things. Now let's make the jump into today. Do Christians still have to tithe today? I've already answered this for you. No. And here's why. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Um, if you read it, it's interesting. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that this new covenant that's brought along by Jesus rendered the old covenant of the law obsolete, is the word it uses. It's obsolete. It's not binding over us anymore. In fact, if you, if you read the New Testament, you read the, the, what the early uh, church leaders were teaching, there's two main teachings. One of it was they explained that Jesus is the Messiah from the scripture. The other one was to explain that they're no longer under the restrictions of the law. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace, right? So since tithing was a part of the Jewish law, you've been set free from that. As a follower of Jesus, under his new covenant, you are free from the obligation to tithe. So when we ask the question, do Christians still have to tithe? Let me ask another question. Do you have to go to church? Do you have to read your Bible? Do you have to pray? Do you have to have a good attitude? Do you have to be kind? Do you have to have daily quiet time? Do you have to share your faith? Oh, that just got a little more complicated, didn't it? What do you mean by have to? Do you mean like, 
have to in order to be saved, have to to be accepted by the church, have to to feel good about my goodness, have to to be loved by God. The have to question is a hard question to answer in this new covenant life that we live under grace, right? It is by grace through faith that we've been saved. This is, this is the whole, that's the whole thing. So to say what I have to do to answer that, like, what does a Christian have to do in order to like be a Christian? It's not usually the tangible things. It's like, well, you got to be repentant. Like I don't like being an arrogant Christian. That one's a hard one to pull off. I don't, I don't know like that that's even a thing that you like, if you got a chip on your shoulder and you're trying to like be better than God, and that's not a good place to be. Like, so what are the intangible have-tos are, are hard to line up. But when it comes to like the spiritual activity and tying a have-to to it, as far as salvation goes, you don't have to do anything. Right? Some of you guys are like going, I don't even know what this guy's talking about anymore. Can I ask a better question? As, as followers of Jesus under this new covenant of grace, how do we decide what to do and what not to do? How? how do we, what is our decision maker, right? Like I, 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 there's a whole generation, particularly my age and around there, a generation that, that grew up, and it has nothing to do with the generation. There's a lot of us, depending on your background, that grew up like being told what to do and then being told that it's because the Bible says so. And then you started reading the Bible. And then you're like, oh wait, that doesn't say so. Don't eat, drink alcohol. Like, okay, the Bible says so. Wait, Jesus drank. You're supposed to do the Sabbath thing? Because the Bible says so? Wait, but we're under the new covenant. Tithing? You have to tithe because the Bible says so? Well, that's Old Testament. So then what do, how, do we, how do we figure out, how do we figure out what, how, like, what is our, so let me, let me get to the fourth question. All right? First question is, do Christians still have to tithe today? I think the answer is no. Fourth question is, if not, why would someone tithe? Like, why would you do it? If you don't have to, why would you? And so to answer this, I'm going to take a little bit of a sidebar. Can you guys go on a little sidebar with me? Because I think we don't have enough information yet. Okay? We need to understand kind of a, a broader, bigger picture. And that's what I'm saying. Stick with me because we're, we're heading somewhere now. Why would a follower of Jesus... Under the new covenant, under this covenant of grace, faith by grace, do anything that we don't have to do, particularly that we find in the New Testament. Okay? I don't know if you've ever actually asked this question, but I bet many of us have subconsciously asked this question. Right? Do I really have to do that? What do I have to do? Why, why would anyone, it's grace, why would anyone do this? So this, now we're getting to the very heart of stewardship. This is where stewardship comes in. See, a lot of people think of the idea of stewardship and then you automatically go to tithing, right? We're hitting on this tithing. Remember, we started from the very beginning. Stewardship is not all about tithing, right? This, this is just a point that has a lot of questions, so we're going there, okay? Some of you who do tithe, you're like, ah, I did the stewardship thing. Check, I tithe, I'm good. What's the next thing? Stewardship is not another Christian to do that we check, like, check the box for Stewardship, this concept, is, is actually like a, the lens through which we as followers of Jesus are called to view our entire lives. Stewardship is how we see the world. So let me, let's just ask this other question. Do I really believe that I own nothing? 
Like, I know you know that's the answer to the question. How convinced are you? Like, do you really, really believe, not just intellectually believe, but do you actually believe, do you practically believe that you own nothing? The 24 hours you get today, they're not yours. I'd say they're on loan to you, but even that gives you a little too much authority. They're his. They're in your possession. But you are a steward of his resources. It's his time that he's asked me to spend for his purposes. Some of us think we're pretty talented. It's not our talent at all. It's his talent that he's given me possession of for a little bit, maybe for this life, maybe for shorter. But he's given me this talent, this passion, this ability, this personality. Do we actually believe that that's not ours? That your gifts, your talents, your skills, your passions, your interests, they're not yours. Here's here's a level that we haven't even gone to yet, but your relationships aren't yours either. We're going to do a little parenting thing this fall. We'll talk more about it later. But one of the things we're going to talk about is your kids aren't yours. And if you've got kids living in your house, I'll just tell you, one day you will be ready or not, you will be confronted with the reality that they don't belong to you. The sooner you learn that, the healthier you'll be and the healthier they'll be. You own nothing. The money in your bank account right now isn't yours. Your car isn't yours. Your house isn't yours. The clothes you're wearing aren't yours. This is what Matthew 25 and Luke 19 are about. The king has left us some things and he says, I want you to use what I've put in your possession right now for my purposes. It's all his. So I'm going to assume that every one of us in this room is saying, yes, I'm, I'm in, because that's going to let me go to my next point. All right? Yes. God, I get it. Okay, I'm getting it. Or or maybe you can be honest, okay? Maybe you can be honest be like, I see it, but I'm going to be honest. I'm not there yet. That's probably most of us. Like, I'm still growing in this area, but I'm tracking with you. I I get the concept. It's not mine. So if that's the truth, and you are a logical and a rational human, here would be the next logical step. Here would be what you would ask next. God, what are your preferences with your resources, right? Any good manager wants to know the desires of his employer or her employer, right? If I'm a manager for somebody, or maybe I'm, a, uh, I'm an accountant and I got hired to manage your finances, okay? And I started making decisions that were inconsistent with your desires, I'd get fired, right? So if I want to be a good accountant, if I want to be a good manager, then I'm going to want to know not just, not just what you told me I have to do and can't do. I want to learn how you think, right? I want to learn how you, what you value, or maybe it's not even an accountant. It could be on, on the, on the less tangible things. Maybe you're somebody's personal assistant. The best personal assistant is the one who knows how their boss thinks, knows not just what they're told to do and not do, that's a decent personal assistant. I can do what I'm told. But, but a great personal assistant is one who thinks like the one they're working for, right? So listen, 
if, if that's us, if that's really how we view all things in life, then one of the most logical way to live, be like, God, not just, not like, what do I have to do and what do I not have to do, but rather, God, what would be your ideal situation for this, right? Some of us are like, man, I'm going to use my time for God's kingdom, glory to God, and I'm going to be, I'm going to work, and I'm going to, I'm going to bless others, and I'm going to go, 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 go for God, yeah. Except he said, take one day out of seven, and you should rest. Listen, you're never going to accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish if you're doing God's will your way. He wants you to do God's will his way. And some of us with a good heart and a pure heart and pure motives, we try to take like our human reasoning and say like, God, yeah, I see this here, but you didn't say I have to. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it this way. If you're a personal assistant, you just might get fired. God's a little more gracious than that, right? So, so here's the deal. Sorry, this is why I wanted to stay close to my notes. All right, here we go. So when it comes to the Old Testament, we're not under this Old Testament law anymore. However, this is how, I'm going to give you a tip on how to read the Old Testament, how to read the Old Testament law. You want to read the law of God to see the heart of God so I can live the life of God. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Some of you guys need to write that down. This will help you understand how to think when you're reading things. You're like, is this Old Testament? Is it, do I have to or whatever? Here's what you want to look for. I want to read the law of God to see, or maybe not just read it. I want to understand the law of God to see the heart of God so I can live the life of God. Do you think that God gave the people of Israel the law? Do you think it was just arbitrary? Right? There's this random law, like, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're up there being like, you know what? I know, like, I'm going to make this as hard as possible, right? Like, they're going to try to work for me, and they're going to try to be good. I'm going to make them rest. I'm just going to, I'm going to make them take one day off, and they're going to, like, hate it. It's going to be hilarious, right? I don't, I don't, I don't think that's how it happened, right? Like this, like, <laughs> like they think, they, oh, man, I'm going to make them give, give up 10% of everything. 10%, can you believe that? Oh, and the Holy Spirit's over like, <laughs> Like, it didn't work that way, right? Like bacon, oh, bacon is so good. Oh, oh, no pork. Let's, do, let's put that one in there too, right? Like, this is, it's not how it worked, right? This is how it worked. No, there were, there were some things that God had on his heart. There were some values. There were some priorities. There were some ways of being, like any good parent, there were some ways of being that he wanted to instill into his people. So when he created the law, his values and his priorities and his preference were worked into so that he could teach his people how to think like him. And then, and then we run into certain principles, particularly, we, we've talked about these ones, tithing and, and Sabbath, that often get thrown into this, like, well, that's Old Testament, I don't have to do it stuff. We run into these principles. Tithing and Sabbath predate the law. So basically, like we're talking like as early as the first few chapters of Genesis. Sabbath rest is found right up front. God worked for six days. He rested. And he says, you should do that too. Try it. It's awesome. And then even with Cain and Abel, like they come and God is looking for it. And this is where we find that, that term first fruits. 
Before the law was ever given, there was this principle that was followed by the people of God and they'd bring their first fruits to them. I don't know how they like grasped this early on. I don't know who taught this or what revelation they had from God that started this, but they understood that God wanted the first and the best. Predated the law. So, okay, we get rid of the law. It's still there. And so here's what we do. And as, as new covenant Christians, people under the grace of Jesus, we're like, we read the Bible and like, here's these priorities and these values of God that predate the law. And then we see them prescribed in the law. And then we're like, Jesus, thank you that I don't have to do anything you want. Wait a second. Like, does that, like, that just doesn't seem... God's law was his way of showing people how to stay close to him. That's what it was about. Through the law, we see what God values, especially those values that precede the law. So now that we've taken that nice little sidebar, let's come back. So if we don't have to, why should someone tithe? Because my money isn't really my money. It's his. Nothing I make is mine. Especially especially the 10%, but really none of it. Why would someone tithe? Because it seems like it's a principle that God values and that God blesses. I want to be, I want to do everything that I can to position myself to receive from God. Remember, it's not a one-to-one. If you do this, I'm going to do that. But there is this principle in existence that I believe still is in existence that if we give him our first and best, and so do you have to do it all the exact same way they did in the Old Testament? No, but to me, I'm like, if he made them do it this way, there's probably something about that that's really good and healthy. So let me, let me try to align that as best as I can in the cultural differences that we have today. Make sense? Why, do, why would someone tithe? Because because I want to use his resources for his purpose done his way. I want to use his resources for his purposes done his way. So, like I said, you don't have to. I know that kind of sort of sounds like that parent, you remember being a kid, where your parents like, I'm not gonna tell you what you have to do, but, yeah, I am fully aware that that's exactly what this sounds like. But if you're not there, don't sweat it. You're not going to hell for not tithing. <laughs> like you're not. But I, I, just, I just feel like there's probably some of us who've, 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 who've got a lot of different weird ideas or maybe seen some abuse in these things. I'm going to also tell you this. Like just, I, I say this from time to time when I, I teach on this. We have treasurers who oversee our, our, our finances. Uh, and they know who tithes and who doesn't. I can speak directly because I don't know what any of you got ties. I don't know. I see the big picture. I don't see the details. So listen, I just want to pastor you. Okay. We don't need more money to keep the lights on. As God's people tithe, does it open up new opportunities to bring more people in, to be able to do more work for the kingdom of God, reaching more people with the love of Jesus and, and growing people in discipleship? Absolutely. But listen, we're not like in a trouble. I'm not preaching on this because like next week, like it's got to be a big offering or else we're shutting the doors. None of that. I'll let our treasurer, our, our elder board, they can deal with that. I, I just want to, can I just, can I just pastor you? 
most of the people that I know who've been faithful in this discipline, in, the, in this thing in their life with tithing, they will tell you that their tithe has more to do with them and God than it has to do with them and the church. Okay, so, so sure, the ter- church is the recipient of it as we see in, in the way that God laid it out in, in the Old Testament, but this is about you and God. This is about trust. This is about God, I don't understand. You might even go like, okay, that was a fine explanation. Or maybe you say that's a lousy explanation. I don't care what you think of it. But you're like, I, I'm not sure I can trust that. Okay, explore it. Let me just encourage you. Explore it. Do the research. There's a lot more than what we just talked about. My heart is that you would understand, that we together as a church body would understand biblical truth so that we could walk in it and reap the blessing that God has in a storehouse of heaven ready to pour out on you. And maybe it's monetary. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe you will never get a financial blessing for the rest of your life. But there is always grace and blessing and obedience, no matter what it is. I'm telling you. So let me just pray. God, thank you so much for your word, your truth. And God, even though it like doesn't exactly make sense how like offering up 10% of everything like to you is like, like a good idea or makes any financial sense at all. But God, would you help us to trust you? And for some of us in the room that maybe just aren't quite there yet or need to make some steps towards this and aren't there, like, God, would you give grace and favor as we, we really try to learn how to, how, to, how, to, how to view the world through this lens of stewardship, whether it's our time, our time, our talent, our treasures, our relationships, whatever it might be, God, help us because it's hard. We are so caught up in what's in front of us and what we can see. God, help us remind us that it's not ours. It's yours. We just want to be good stewards of what is currently in our possession at this time. <clears throat> Knowing one day you're going to ask, what did you do with my stuff? Did you lever it, leverage it for my purposes? God, we're yours every aspect. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.